Good morning and welcome to the Daily Ding. Happy Friday, everybody. We've got your action from what was a fantastic couple of games on Thursday night in the NBA playoffs. I'm Dave DeFore. I'm joined by Keith Parrish, my good buddy, who I never get to do this show with. What's up, Keith? What's up, Dave? What a night of basketball we had. I felt like it had been disappointing the past couple of days, but the games on Thursday were unreal. We actually had two different styles, I think. We had a little bit of a throwback in the early game, and then, you know, a ton of threes in the in the late game. It was pretty fun. Felt like the old differentiation when I grew up, where the West Coast teams all seemed to play faster, and the East Coast teams just fought each other. And that's kind of what happened in Milwaukee. Bucks Nets game three, and it was a you know it was a rock fight. I, I think Keith, it was a rock fight. It reminded me of the great Grizzlies Thunder playoff battles, overtime battles that would finish eighty six to eighty two. Not to mention maybe the throwback Pacers Pistons series back when no one scored the basketball. This one was unreal because. The Bucks, who are fighting for their lives, fighting for their coaches' lives, basically trying to avoid humiliation, came out and jumped out to this huge lead. They were ahead 30-11 to 11 after the first quarter, and then just nonstop bricks from every team. You mentioned the West Coast team shooting the three-pointers. These East Coast teams were shooting three-pointers as well, but no one was making any shots, and I got to say, that's the kind of playoff battle I adore when no one can <laughs> score at all. The whole second half was just an absolute mess. These two teams combined to go 14 for 63 from three. I mean, this was just compelling basketball. I mean, Kevin Durant couldn't hit shots. Joe Harris in this game was one of 11. And, you know, I haven't gone back through the tape. I just haven't had time yet. But I feel like all but two of those were wide open shots. I mean, and in the fourth, he just couldn't buy a shot and Brooklyn really would have won. It would have taken one shot to make a difference in this game. But uh, I think you, you know, you got to give credit to the bucks. They had it going early and then they went away from what was working. They never really got back to the thing that was working, but they somehow still won this damn game. Giannis was so dominant inside and then just started for no good reason, settling for threes. He wound up going one of eight from three. Those seven misses from three could have cost them the damn game, Keith. I don't understand what Giannis is doing. I don't understand what the Bucks are doing. Basically watching this series for, uh, I'd say for at least half of the quarters, I'm totally confused what the Bucks are doing. This game, both teams, I'm looking at it now, in the second half of this game, they combined to go 32 for 95 that's essentially both teams combined to shoot 33%. These Giannis threes, what in the world are you doing? He keeps regressing at shooting. He regresses on his free throws. Not only can he not make his free throws, he can't even get the attempt up in the allotted 10 seconds time. If you're that bad at free throws, why are you taking so long? Maybe just shoot him quick. Just try something. Do, do, pop a shot. As a guy who's taught a lot of bad free throw shooters how to do it, the key is to get him to not think. And he's clearly spending way too much time there. He actually had a 10-second violation in this game. And I thought that Steve Javi did a great job of explaining that, where he said, you really wind up around 13 seconds because you want to be fair to the player, you know, giving them the pass, letting them get settled. Even with Giannis, it's just too much time. You got to cut out all that BS he t does before he takes the shot. Get his brain out of the equation. But... That really didn't matter in this game all that much. I think that the threes themselves really were just awful possessions, and so many of them were just early shot clock threes. They weren't trying to get better looks. It was just wasted possessions, essentially. And 
if you're Milwaukee, you cannot afford to waste a single possession against Brooklyn Nets. They're just too good. Kevin Durant had 30 in this game, and he was dreadful shooting the basketball. Yeah, I'm not sure what the Bucs are supposed to do. We say, like, this game, the Bucs were dreadful shooting the ball. They've been dreadful in numerous games this postseason. I was looking this up because I was curious. Like, the Bucs won tonight and shot under 35% from the field. They made fewer than 20% of their three-pointers on massive volume. Like, they shot 31 threes, they made six, while also not making their free throws. In NBA history, there's only been seven times where a team has attempted at least 33-pointers, made 20% or fewer of them, while also making under 70% of their free throws. Seven times ever, three of them are the Bucks this postseason. They are a unique team that is just suddenly horrible at shooting. And with the free throws, it's obviously Giannis because he's the guy who can't shoot the free throws and he's getting the most free throw attempts. I think last game, it was only him and Thanasis who attempted any free throws for the Bucs. So I don't know what the Bucs are supposed to do. Like, is this a series now? Because you scratched no. and clawed out this win? I mean, it should be. They defended their home court. They won the game. How could you play worse and you win? So like... At some point, can the Bucs play any better? You're saying no. <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets had probably the worst game that they're going to have for the rest of the playoffs. And you can see if James Harden was healthy in this series, the Bucs would be getting boat raced right now. It would be a wrap. This would be 3-0. Harden would have iced this game down the stretch. He was the piece that they were missing, I thought, the last quarter of this game for Brooklyn. You know, the guy that could have settled everything for him. Last couple possessions for the Nets after Drew Holiday hit that game winner. Both possessions wound up with contested Bruce Brown shots. And look, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant were both on the court. That's not great, Keith. Well, I mean, Bruce Brown has been amazing. Bruce Brown has... He was fantastic in this game. It's so funny. In this entire series, Bruce Brown is basically giving you like... I don't want to offend people. He's basically giving you like 70% of Giannis. And so like, that's obviously a, a huge win for the Nets. Like he's been terrific. He's been tremendous. He's not making those negative plays where like Giannis is doing this. Why are you shooting eight threes a game? You can't make three pointers. And so Bruce Brown has been so good. And then at the end of this game, the Bucks realize, well, we actually prefer you to shoot this. Let's see if you can make this contested left-handed layup. Oh, you cannot. So I feel bad for Bruce Brown because I think a lot of uh, whatever NBA diehards, NBA podcasters, we latch onto him. You're like, that guy, I like him. He's not the guy you want to be taking the big shot. But I guess give the credit to the Bucks that they funneled the ball to him. And then when, they, when he had the ball, they're like, oh, no, we're not, we're not helping. You do your thing. Go do your thing, and we're going to live with those results. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In the late game, the Utah Jazz take a commanding, and yes, we say a 2-0 lead is commanding, commanding two games to none lead in the second round series against the Clippers. And, you know, look, we could start with Donovan Mitchell being absolutely absurd in this game, but I want to start with Rudy Gobert. 13 points, 20 rebounds, 5 of 7 from the free throw line, big free throws, 3 blocks, 2 steals. This was a nearly perfect game defensively 
and offensively from Rudy Gobert. I thought he was great. Yeah, Gobert really came through. That 20 rebounds is a playoff career high for him. But, I mean, him and Mitchell, I mean, that's the team. I mean, they, they're a deep team, and they have a, a number of incredible offensive options. And to win both these games without Mike Conley, they got to be feeling great. But, yeah, I mean, Gobert, a huge game right after getting named Defensive Player of the Year for the third time. But, I mean, do we have to skirt past Mitchell? Because Mitchell... In the first half of this game, I mean, if you allied the second half of game one and the first half of, of game two, he scored 59 points in those two halves. In 40 minutes. He was unbelievable, unreal. Like, we're watching this guy, and it's something like he's knocking down his shots, which he doesn't always do, but he was knocking down these three-pointers. He's splitting every double team, it feels like, and just getting to the bucket. And he's, what, 6'2", 6'1", or something, and he's finishing over guys after he splits those double teams. Just an absolute masterclass. My question, I think the big question after this game is, is he banged up? Because they've already survived without Mike Conley. He was favoring the ankle throughout the game. Then at the end, he got a little tangled up with Paul George. Like, what's going to be the health issue for the Jazz as they continue this series? Yeah, he looked to, looked to be walking a little bit gingerly after he hopped up after that collision. Of course, you know, we'll be checking to see the injury report. The Jazz were actually up 21 points at one point in this game. And then out of nowhere, the Clippers just switched to a zone. And the Jazz got stuck in mud. The Clippers go on a 12-0 run, and all of a sudden we've got a single-digit game. Look, I, I don't get why the zone messed them up. This is a good shooting team. I think that they just stuck Gobert in the dunker spot too long. They really needed to get him up, set some high screens, and let those guys shoot. And they made a sub, got favors in, and that's immediately what they did. And then next thing you know, the Jazz are back in it. How did you feel about the Clippers down the stretch in this game? Like Their defense just wasn't what we have become accustomed to from them. I'm hesitant to criticize any of these defensive approaches to this Jazz team. Because when the Jazz are knocking their shots down, what are you supposed to do? Like, they went to zone and, and, and it worked for them. And I think a lot of that was, that's where you miss Mike Conley, where he would come back in and stagger his playing time, and you'd have that second unit that would totally mash. Like, the second unit, where it's not really a second unit, as a Grizzlies fan, I have nightmares still about this, where they would play Conley and Gobert with, you know, Ingles and Clarkson and Yang, and just murder. And so, like, that's where you could feel it in this game. You felt those lulls. I mean, Mieoni's cool and all, but, like, he's not Mike Conley uh, in that lineup. And the Jazz, you know, like they gave up the lead kind of like they had against the Grizzlies in a few of those games. But then to their credit, they stepped up in the fourth quarter and they stomped out the Clippers. And again, it's just shot making. I mean, the shot making is unreal from the Jazz. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Clarkson, 24 points off the bench, six of nine from three. Joe Ingles, four of seven from three, including just being able to walk right into <laughs> A wide open three uh, down the stretch that I'm sure the Clippers were kicking themselves over because the game got close and that three wound up being a difference maker for Utah. I mean, Ingles and Boyan Bogdanovich down the stretch just made big play after big play on both ends of the court. I thought Boyan's defense on Kawhi in particular, you know, the one guy who actually was able to hurt Utah, he did a great job on Kawhi down the stretch, really took him out of the game. Yeah, and it's funny, like you've now mentioned like five different jazz players, and that's just this team is so good. And we haven't even mentioned the player who led them in minutes in this game, Royce O'Neal. He's like the forgotten guy, but he carries so much stuff. He plays so well. He fits in. He does all the defensive stuff. And this team, as far as the shooting, I think it's so interesting thinking about this jazz team where they had a tremendous regular season. And the question into the playoffs is like, well, can they actually make 16 three-pointers per game in the playoffs? And now they've made an NBA record 17 three-pointers in six consecutive games. The longest previous stretch in NBA history was three consecutive games. 
So this team is making their three-pointers a slightly better rate than they did in the regular season. If they keep that up, Dave, is this the NBA champion Utah Jazz? I think Utah and Brooklyn is looking pretty good right now for the finals. That's going to do it for today's show, folks. Don't forget about all the podcasts we've got at the Athletic Podcast Network. If you haven't already subscribed, go to theathletic.com slash daily ding and do that now. Thank you guys for waking up with us. Keith, you know how we finish this show. Ding, ding.